Praise the Lord. Good morning, family. It's good to see you guys. We start a new series today about Jesus. It's called, Is He Worthy? Is He Worthy? We're going to talk about Jesus today. You guys ready for that? Most of us don't have a problem with believing that uh, Jesus was a historical man or that he was a good teacher of ethics or that maybe he even had some supernatural insight into uh, the meaning of life. That's, that's easy for us, most of us, to digest all of those claims. But to love him, to worship him, now that's a little over the top. So what we're doing through this series is we're asking this question every week. Is Christ worthy? Is he worthy of all honor and glory? Is he worthy of our trust? Is he worthy of our obedience? Is he worthy of our devotion? And here's the deal. Jesus seems to think he is. (laughs) We're going to see that in the next several weeks. In this series, we're going to consider the so-called I am statements of Jesus, by Jesus, in the Gospel of John. These are the times when Jesus is talking specifically about his own identity. It's not what other people are saying about him. It's what Jesus is saying about Jesus, because he knows himself the best. And so that's why these are so important. He's going to tell us that he is uniquely worthy of our worship and our honor and our trust through seven radical self-identifying Statements And the first statement that we're going to consider this morning is, I am the bread of life. So if you would, please give your attention to the reading of God's word. John 6, 22 through 35. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. And so they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Who comes, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you because you first loved us. Lord, we thank you for telling us about who you really are. 
so that we don't get that twisted up and we don't have to live in confusion about that. Lord, I pray that this statement that you make about yourself, that it would fall on fresh ears. For those of us that believe in you, this can sound like just white noise, and we miss how radical it is. And so I pray that there would be an awakening at Crossway today. That you would wake us up to see how radical the statement is. And for those of us that do not yet trust you, that you would wake us up as well for the first time. You have no rival. You have no equal. We love you. Speak to us through your scripture, by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Chris Voss is a retired FBI agent that worked for years and years as an international hostage negotiator. Does that get your attention? He negotiated with some really bad people that made radical demands, and they were willing to lose their life to get what they wanted. Uh, every kidnapper has, has demands because they are deeply hungry for something. They have this craving for something, whether that is uh, respect from a foreign power or whether that's a, having a reputation that uh, no one else has or they want, their, want their name to be remembered. But not only are they hungry for something, but they are absolutely convinced in their mind that they know what will satisfy them the most because they have demands they have demands whether that's a 50 million dollar ransom or the release of fellow prisoners or the latest weapon technology they're convinced they know what will satisfy them the most and there's this phrase that Voss uses to describe what he is actually doing in a negotiation he's essentially telling his counterpart this don't be so sure of what you want that you wouldn't take something better. That make you think just a beat? Don't be so sure of what you want that you wouldn't take something better. Now, you and I are not international uh, you know, kidnappers, you know, at least not that I'm aware of. <laughs> uh, but we all all make huge demands from life. Do we not? We make huge demands from life. We are all deeply hungry for something, me included. We all believe that we know what will satisfy that hunger. We all are convinced of that in our mind. So we live out of this every day of our life. We believe that we know what will satisfy our inner cravings the most. So we shape and we schedule our life around getting whatever we think that is. And into our life today walks Jesus. And Jesus essentially says to us, listen, you have a big problem and you don't even realize it. You don't even know it. In the deepest part of your being, you are hungry and you are energetically, you are enthusiastically pursuing what you believe will satisfy your hunger. But here's the thing. You're so sure of what you want 
that you're passing up something better. Me. Me. I want us to consider this radical statement this morning. In fact, I, I reworded it last night because I was so sure of what I thought it ought to be. <laughs> but I want you to just think about it. Think about it in the personal sense. I need to pursue Jesus because he satisfies my soul hunger like nothing else in the world. I want you to personalize that with the word I. I need to pursue Jesus because he satisfies my soul hunger like nothing else in the world. Now that's a bold statement to make, is it not? It's a big statement to make. And so I want to do, I want to break that down into kind of like three different pieces this morning, okay? I, wa- I want us to, to look at it this way. Why our food won't satisfy, why Christ's food will satisfy us, and how we obtain this food that satisfies us, okay? So first, why won't our food satisfy? Well, number one, that's because the food we pursue is perishable. The food that you and I pursue is perishable. Let's go to the text here, verse 26 and 27. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you. Now, whenever he says that in John, that's a solemn statement. It's like an oath. So we listen up. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. So here's kind of what's going on, the backstory to kind of set this up. This group of people have just seen Jesus perform a bona fide miracle. They've not just seen it, they've experienced it, they've encountered it, they've even tasted of this miracle where he made a meal for over 5,000 people out of two fish and five loaves of bread, and it says that they were so full and so satisfied it was so full that they were satisfied and that they even had baskets of food left over. That's how much food he made. And so what's happened is that Jesus has slipped away in the night with the disciples and he goes to the other side of the lake by walking on water, by the way. Another miracle. And they slipped away in the night, away from the crowd that they fed, and they're on the other side of the, the sea. The people are energetically searching for Jesus. They are working to find Jesus, Okay? They're burning energy to try to find uh, Jesus. And when they find out that he's not there, but he's on the other side of the lake or the sea, they, they continue to pursue him. They get in their boats, and they kind of row across this sea to go find him. And upon finding him, this is what happens. Jesus exposes their true motivation for seeking him and pursuing him. He just calls it right out. He ignores their question, and he answers the question they should have asked. Their true motive is this. They saw the miracle, but they completely missed the sign. They saw and experienced this miracle, but they completely missed that it was pointing them towards something even better than a full stomach. They're pursuing Jesus because they want him to supply more physical bread because they're hungry again. This is the next morning, right? They're hungry again. So give us some more bread. 
And you know what? They feel pretty good about it. They think that's, that's all right. That makes sense. And their mind, they're thinking, look, if the children of Israel could survive on manna from heaven for 40 years under the leadership of the great prophet Moses, then shouldn't Jesus be able to do that for them if he's really the Messiah? Like, that should be like baseline that he should do that, right? And then maybe more than that. That's their thinking. They think that they have hit the jackpot by finding Jesus. Jesus is someone who will constantly satisfy their physical hunger. They'll never be hungry again with him around. They'll never have to wonder where their next meal comes from. Now, that sounds pretty good, actually. Think about that. You never have to wonder where your next meal comes from? That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's not bad. That's good. But here's their motivation for seeking Jesus. He gets underneath that. They merely want a food supplier. They merely want a supernatural bread baker. They don't want Jesus himself. And Jesus exposes this problem with their thinking. Physical bread, even supernaturally produced bread, perishes. It perishes in the end. It perishes because it either it spoils or because it's consumed and it's gone. It satisfies us for a little while, but then we have to eat it again, and then the next morning again, and then the next morning again. Physical food, by its very nature, cannot permanently satisfy us. Once we eat it, it's gone, and then we have to work to either make more or find more or secure more, and that, that actually makes us hungry, and so the cycle kind of repeats. You see how this works? This is the point. This was the point of God giving the Hebrews miracle manna in the first place. God tells them that. It was, it was, to, it was to help them, to convince them, actually, that it wasn't really the bread that gave them life. It was God that gave them life. He gave them bread to tell them, to show them, to convince them that it's not the bread that gives you the life. It's me who gives you the life. Look at Deuteronomy 8, 3. And the Lord humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know. So here's the purpose. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. He gave you bread so that you know that bread is not what gives you life. That's why he gave you the bread. That man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And in John, Jesus is called the Word of God. Have you guys ever seen that show, the Doomsday Prepper TV show? It's like on National Geographic, Doomsday Prepper, just me? A couple, okay. All right, you can admit it, no judging. Not judging you. Uh, it's actually pretty good entertainment. There's, if you haven't seen it, there's these people, and they are, they are planning for the end of the world as we know it. They are convinced in their mind there's going to be like some kind of like nuclear reactor meltdown or some huge tsunami or something. And they are preparing for that. Their entire life centers around finding and producing and maintaining a renewable food and water source in case there's some kind of cataclysmic disaster just around the corner. They are serious about finding food and water so that they can live through that kind of a situation. 
They believe they can live through it. They can survive it if they just have these things ready. And so they've spent insane amounts of their money, their time, their energy. Some of them even quit their jobs to be really prepared for this and devote their entire life for this plan to producing and stockpiling food and water. And why? Because it is what they believe will give them life. If you boil it all down, they believe this is what's going to give me and my family life. After all this stuff goes down, it'll give me life. And at the end of the show, they all get critiqued by the experts. So you're doing this well, you didn't do this well. And here's what's, you know, I've only watched a few episodes of this. I don't watch a lot of TV, but invariably, the critique comes down to this. The problem that they all have to face is the food and water supply. That they have constantly got to stay on top of that because whatever it is, uh, whatever their food source is, even the live chickens that you're raising or the spirulina that you're making in your algae tanks or whatever that food source is, it, it has a shelf life. Disease creeps in. Contamination creeps It spoils. It may last three months. It might last four months. It might last half a year, but it all eventually perishes. And you know what happens? You've got to replace it. And you can't go on autopilot. You, your whole life is devoted to just constantly replacing stuff that you're never using because it, by definition, perishes. And, and, and we can watch a show like that. We have some kind of, you know, there's some entertainment value to that. But you know what? In a way, we're all doomsday preppers, aren't we? Doomsday comes for all of us, personally. Are you tracking with me? Do you know what I'm saying? So it's not just those kind of people. It's you's kind of people, <laughs> me kind of people. We're all doomsday preppers in a personal sense. Sure, we're not all stockpiling food and water to ensure that we'll live through a disaster, but you know what? We stockpile other things that we think will give us life. Am I right? Can the church say amen? We build bigger barns, do we not? And we're just convinced that's going to give us life. That's going to take care of us. You and I have a deep spiritual hunger inside of us and we devote so much of our thinking and planning and physical energy and mental energy and emotional energy and dare I say it, our prayers towards satisfying our soul hunger with perishable foods, temporal things. Lord, if you just would give me this. We pursue our career because we think that will ultimately take care of us when it all goes down. That'll give me life. That'll satisfy my soul hunger. That'll satisfy my anxiety. So we, pur we pursue satisfaction by having a healthy body. We pursue satisfaction in having an ideal marriage. We pursue satisfaction in sexual relationships. We pursue satisfaction in the happiness of our children because if they're happy, I'm happy. And it rides on that. We pursue satisfaction in the clothes that we wear, the car that we drive, the house that we live in. Yes, those are good gifts from God. Yes and amen to that. 
They are gifts from God. But Jesus is saying something radical to us here. Jesus is saying that they cannot satisfy our soul's hunger even when they come from God himself because they are not God himself. They are all perishable foods. They don't last. They're not built to last. They can't last. They are all subject to change. They're all affected by decay. They're all affected by contamination. You constantly got to upgrade it. They all succumb to death in the end. Jesus tells us, stop burning the bulk of our energy and even our prayers on getting and keeping and maintaining and requesting from him things that are perishable. Not that we never do it, but that's not the bulk of our focus and time, he's saying. They will not satisfy us like the food he gives will. Because there's always one more thing you could have to redundancy, right? So why does the food Jesus give us satisfy? I mean, that's, that's claim. Because I can make a pretty good plan and be like uber redundant. How's Jesus going to be better? Well, the food he, uh, food he supplies satisfies us because the food Jesus gives is eternal. His food is eternal. Let's look at the text here again, verse 33 through 35. For the bread of God is he. We'll come back to that in a second. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whomever believes in me shall never thirst. Even after explaining that the food that he gives people is spiritual food, the crowd still doesn't get the metaphor. They still don't understand what he's really talking about. They still think that Jesus is talking about material, physical bread. Like the manna that the Hebrews ate in the wilderness. So Jesus gets a little bit more specific. He gets more specific about the food that he provides, that he gives. This bread, he says, is heavenly bread. It's not earthly bread. It doesn't come from an earthly source. It doesn't come from the baker around the corner. Rather, it comes from a heavenly source. It is the bread of heaven in that it is eternal. It is eternal. Do you know what that means, guys? It has no expiration date. You don't have to check the label in four months. <laughs> Woo! It's got no shelf life, needs no upgrade. Isn't this great? You ought to be smiling. It means it lasts forever, and therefore it satisfies your hunger forever. By definition, it satisfies your hunger forever. Well, that's better as far as I'm concerned. This bread that comes down from heaven makes a person live forever. Why? Because the bread itself is forever bread. That's what he's saying. I want you to eat forever bread. You'll live forever. The main ingredient in the bread that Jesus gives you and I is eternality. It's everlasting. That's the main ingredient in it. I want you guys just to humor me for a second and just imagine, all right? Can you pretend with me for a second? 
All right, everyone be six and just pretend, all right? Imagine with me this. Imagine that you're on a long journey. You decide to take a, a, a long trip. It's a place that you really, you know, you can't wait to get there. It's a long journey, and in one hand, this is on your journey, you start to get hungry, and on one hand, you have a piece of ordinary, delicious bread. And that'll satisfy your hunger for several hours. It's like, you know, it's packed with nuts and nine grains and, all right? And it'll satisfy your hunger for several hours till dinner time. It'll get you to dinner time. This is a delicious bread. And then you're going to need to eat again. You'll need to stop, make camp, eat again, okay? And then, in your other hand, you'll hold a slice of bread that will satisfy your hunger forever. Can you picture this in your hands? Can you, can you feel the weight of the bread? Can you feel this? Just one slice would satisfy your hunger and give you all the nourishment, vitamins that you need for the rest of your journey to ensure you make it. That means that you never have to think about finding food, producing food, storing food, shuttling food with you because you're fully nourished for the rest of your journey. You're so nourished, in fact, that you don't even get hungry again. And that's why you don't need to worry about food. You're not even hungry anymore. I want you just to imagine for half of a second here. <laughs> imagine what else you could devote your energy to on your journey. Imagine what else you could devote your time to. Imagine what else you could be thinking about as you make your journey to its destination because you're no longer thinking about finding food, making food, cooking food, getting food, storing food. You don't think about that. What else would you be thinking about? What, I mean, that would radically change how you experience that journey. Am I right? That would radically change, in effect, what you accomplished and how you understood it and what you encountered. You're freed up. That's a different journey now, right? Jesus is saying that when you and I eat the bread that he gives, it fills you up. And it fills you up forever. The bread of life is so satisfying that it eliminates our deepest spiritual hunger altogether. Think about that. Think about what effect that would have on your life, your journey. When you take in the bread of life, it eliminates spiritual hunger. It satisfies your deepest desires. See, we're like the crowd, though, aren't we? We're so sure of what we want that we pass up something better, right? We think, what could be better than having an endless supply of food on my hands? What could be possibly better? When I get hungry, there it is, boom. And just goes with me wherever I go. What could be better than that, we think? And Jesus says, I'll tell you what's better. Not being hungry is better. Not needing that is better. That's superior. Spiritual food that so satisfies your soul that you never get that empty feeling ever Again, listen, Jesus is not saying that we no longer need to continually feed our souls on him. He's not saying that. What he is saying is that when we come to him, that deep core emptiness that we once had is eliminated. We never go back to that place. 
We get different kinds of hungers in a sense. They're always satisfied. He fills us with eternal, heavenly bread. In fact, Jesus goes so far to say this. This is where I want you to really see the radicalness of these statements. Jesus says that he does not merely give us heavenly bread of eternal life. Jesus says that he is the bread of eternal life himself, personally. We cannot separate the life that Jesus gives from the person of Jesus himself. You cannot separate those things. In order to come into eternal life, we must come to Jesus himself personally. Which leads to my third point. We obtain this eternal life by trusting in Jesus. I, I got to stop and say this. This is why our mission statement is that we are a church that develops Je- disciples of Jesus Christ that have truly encountered the gospel. We want people to truly encounter the gospel, not just hear it. So we obtain this eternal food by trusting in Jesus. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Do you see that couplet? Do you see that parallel? Well, one thing is being defined by the thing that comes after that. That's how John writes throughout his gospel, okay? We're gonna come back to that. Jesus is telling something. Listen, it is absolutely critical for us to grasp this. Don't miss this. Don't tune out. Tune in right now. There is no eternal life apart from Jesus personally. That is a figment of your imagination. Do you see how closely he's identifying with eternal life? He's saying, I'm it. I'm it. You can't separate this. So many people, even professing Christians, myself included, I find myself thinking this way. When we think of paradise or eternal life or heaven or whatever you want to put in that category, we tend to think of the heavenly golf course in the sky where there's a thousand mulligans and the holes this big, (laughs) right? We think about being reunited with our loved ones. We think about reading the best books ever written or hearing the most melodic music we've ever heard or going on the grandest hike that never ends and the weather is just gorgeous all day long. And then somewhere over there, way off in the distance, if you squint, is executive producer Jesus. And he's just sitting on his throne way over there somewhere. And he's just smiling because of all the fun we're having in his kingdom. Here's the problem with that picture. It's not the things that we include in our imagination. That's not the problem. The problem is is what is at the center of all satisfying eternal life and what has been pushed to the margins and the edge. Are you guys tracking with me? Jesus is making a radical statement here. Jesus says, I am the bread of eternal life. I don't just give it, I'm it. Me, personally, I am it. 
Jesus is saying, listen, there is no hunger-satisfying, soul-filling, never-ending life without me. I'm the very center of it. I am the absolute core of it. I'm the main ingredient of eternal life. Eternal life is wonderful only because I'm present. I'm what makes eternal life wonderful for you. I'm in what makes eternal life joyful and no one else and no th- nothing else. That's how unique I am. That's how worthy I am. Now, do you believe this? Do you believe this about me, Jesus says? He puts that on you. Puts that on me. This is why Jesus tells us that there is only one way to gain eternal life. Come to me. Don't come to me to get something else. I'm it. I'm it. Come to me. I'm the source of eternal life. Because you can't even enjoy that without me. But what does it mean to come to Jesus? Well, he tells us in the second part of the very verse, same verse, to come to Jesus means to believe in him. To believe in him as the one that the Father has sent to give life to all the world. Not just him in some vague sense, I believe in Jesus. He's always defining in these dialogues what he means by what we need to believe on him. Believe in John does not mean just to agree about some historical facts about Jesus. It means at least that, but it means much more than that. It's not, yeah, yeah, I intellectually believe Jesus was in fact a historical man, that he died on a cross, he rose from the dead. Yeah, I believe, I believe all that, sure. Uh, Yeah, I mentally agree to the fact that Jesus taught ethics, he claimed to be the Messiah, sure, I, I can buy that, I believe it. It's at least that, but it is definitely more than that. No, to believe in Jesus is much more personal than that. It's not just believing in personal things, it's about believing in a person. It is, it's trust. Belief is trust. It's trust that you give him that's equal to a personal encounter. Does this make sense? It's like if, it, it was like, uh, like if your car, I mean, it's pretty valuable to you, right? Get you around, get you where? It's like if your life is your car. And Jesus comes up and says, hey, I can drive that car. You say, sure, I, I believe you can do that. He says, all right, hand me the keys. It's mine now. Whoa, that's the only life I got. Do you understand the difference between how we think in the West of belief and how, what he's talking about about belief? It's trusting your life. Here, take the keys. It is trusting that the life he can supply you with is far superior than the life that you can supply yourself with. Because you've come to the conclusion, I can't do that. It is repenting of that belief that you had and saying, now I believe that, I trust that you can do that. You can drive the car of my life. To come to Jesus means that you no longer trust that there's anything you can do to satisfy your soul's hunger. It means that you believe that that was actually sinful. 
There's no amount of church attendance, no amount of Bible reading or helping charities or moral improvement or physical pleasures that could fill that empty hole inside. It means that you trust that the only the person in the work of Jesus can do that for you and that you have nothing to add to that except your neediness. The reason that Jesus can claim to be the bread from heaven that gives life to the world is that he would eventually give up his life for the world. He did what he said he would do. He is who he says that he is. Jesus died for our sins on the cross so that we would not die in our sin of trying to satisfy ourselves. Apart from him, separate from him, Jesus was raised from the grave and he lives even today so that all who come to him will be raised from their graves to live eternally with him. To come to Jesus is to personally trust that he really did all this work for you. Yes, you. So that you could live eternally with him. I invite you to trust him today, no matter who you are. Trust him today. And if you're here and you've never done that, I invite you to do that for the first time. You can come talk with me if you want to know how to do that after our worship gathering or one of our elders. They have these little badges so you can find them quickly. Come talk to us. We'd love to talk with you about how to do that. I love you guys. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good. You are the bread that has come down from heaven. You don't just give eternal life. You are eternal life yourself. And there is none apart from you. Jesus, I pray that were we right now, we don't think that you're really that worthy and glorious where we consider you maybe boring not as satisfying as X, that you would reveal that to us and lovingly correct that in us. Would you give us eyes to see how spectacular you are and help us come to you in trust. You satisfy our hunger. You say that we will never hunger and thirst again when we come to you. And we pray that you would do that today. You would make yourself uh, real to us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.